Good morning again, everybody. Hope you're doing well. If you have a Bible, we're going to be in Acts chapter 8 today. Acts chapter 8, we're going to begin in verse 26. And if you don't have a Bible, it will be on the screen for you in a second, so have no fear. You know what? We often are guilty of doing things that we do not understand while we're doing them. I mean, am I right? And this is... This is definitely true in church. And sometimes the things that we do that we don't understand can be a little bit wacky. There is a story that's been told like a ton of times, so I cannot vouch for the validity, but it's a good story nonetheless, okay? And it won't, you know, it won't ruin your worldview if, the, if you don't understand this, okay? So there's this story about a lady who was all, every time she cooked a ham, she'd cut the back end off of the ham. And it became kind of like something they did in this family. They would cut, every time they'd cook a ham, they'd cut the back end off of the ham. And one day, a new family member came in. I think it was either by marriage or maybe somebody visited. I don't remember exactly what happened. But the new family member said, why are you cutting the back off that ham? She's like, well, my grandma. Well, well, it actually goes back before. My great-grandma, she used to cut the back off a ham. And then my grandma cut the back off a ham. And then my mom cut the back off the ham. So we've just always cut the backs off the ham before we've cooked them. Oh, well, that's odd. Why, why, why did that happen? Well, so they got curious. And so what happened is they find great-grandma. Great-grandma. Why do we do that? Oh, well, I didn't have a pan big enough for a ham. Like I said, I don't know if it's true, but it's like totally us, though, right? You can see yourself doing that. Why do we do that? Especially in church, why do we do the things that we do? A lot of times we do things and we don't understand why we do them, and we don't ask the question, we must, that must be what we're supposed to do. And some of the things we do are kind of wacky. I'm not saying just because they're kind of wacky doesn't mean we shouldn't do them, but we got a trough here full of water. And in a few minutes, we're going to dunk somebody under, dunk two somebody's underneath the water. So people on the outside looking in, it's like, why do you got a hot, like some churches have like built in the church. Why do you got a hot tub built in your church? And why is a horse trough there? And what is the deal with that? And so today I want us to look at this wacky thing, quote unquote, of baptism and see why and ask some questions about it so we can understand why we do it. Does that make sense? First question I want us to ask is, what is baptism? Well, the word baptism, word to baptize, the verb, really means to immerse and to dip underwater. That is what the word literally means. Okay? So first thing, you leave here today, what does being baptized mean? Well, first, on the most base level, it means to get dunked underwater. Okay? Does that make sense? You following me? We tracking? Second question is this, why is it important? Well, I'll give you one thing. And this is the one that settles it a lot of the time. In fact, it should settle it all the time. Jesus said to do it. Moms, you know you said it. Your kids ask the question, and what is the answer? Because I said so, or I'll hurt you, okay? Maybe you added that part, all right? Because I said so, all right? Well, you're because I said so, that's fine, but Jesus is better and bigger, And so in Matthew chapter 28, he told his disciples to go make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. So Jesus told us to dunk people. So first off, why do we do it? What are we doing? We're dunking. Why are we doing it? Jesus told us to. Thank you. Hey, this is crowd participation. I like that. And we get in the third question, and this is the one 
I want to answer today as we look in Acts chapter 8 is who should be baptized? And we're going to answer it by looking in Acts chapter 8 at a very interesting story. This is the last week we looked in Acts chapter 9 and Paul's conversion. This time we're going to look at a deacon who God called to spread the gospel all over the place and called him to a very odd place. In verse 26 of of Acts 28, which will be on the screen here in just a second. Now the angel of the Lord said to Philip, this guy was a deacon serving his church, but God called him out, sent him out to preach the gospel. A lot of the time because there was persecution coming. And then after, uh, then Philip is sent, it says, by an angel of the Lord, and this is what the angel said, rise and go towards the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. Now, if you, get, if you look in the back of your Bibles, most of the time you have maps, okay, in the back of them. That's not just for fun, okay? They, you can actually see where Jerusalem is and see where Gaza is. Gaza, you're going towards the Mediterranean Sea, and it is in the middle of slap nowhere in the middle of the desert. So that's one of those things. God, the angel of the Lord who is speaking on behalf of God says, I want you to go to the middle of nowhere. And guess what happens? In fact, it even says it further on. It says, this is a desert place. There's emphasis. So what's there? What's in a desert? Nothing. So they're going to this not very well-traveled road in the middle of nowhere. Philip, I want you to go. Verse 27, and he arose and went. That makes sense. And then verse 27 says, and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who, ha- who was in charge of all her treasures. That's a lot of descriptions of that guy, right? Let's look back at it again, because this is going to be important. Ethiopian means that he is from this, what was the Old Testament kingdom of Cush, and now it's in, this is not what we think of as Ethiopia today, although this kingdom that he is from would take up and be part of Ethiopia and Sudan in Africa, okay? That means by saying he's Ethiopian, it says that he is, he's got black skin color, And so this is the gospel going out to every nation, tribe, and tongue, and cultural groups that Jesus said was going to happen in Acts 1.8. He said, you're going to be my witnesses in Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. In fact, some people considered Ethiopia the very last part of the end of the earth because it was the last civilized portion of the world before you got weird. Okay? So this man, he's got, he's, he's got he's got black skin color. He is from Ethiopia, and it says he's a eunuch. That means he has, he has been uh, emasculated. And for some reason, if you were, um, well, we understand the reasons, but what, what would happen, this is hard to talk about at church, I'm just being honest with you. And there's a verse later that's coming that everybody's going to squirm a little bit, just going to let you know that. I, I studied the Bible a lot, and I got to Deuteronomy 23-1, and I was like, holy shnikes, okay, that's, all right, so we get to this place. And he's a eunuch, which means to put someone in charge of, of, of was common practice in this time in this cultures, when you put somebody in charge of something in, in government to dismember them, or to not dismember them, that would, to <laughs> emasculate them so that they would not be tempted by sexual urges. And so that's in here. We're going to deal with that in a second. The next thing it says about this Ethiopian, he's a court official of Candace. Candace was not her name. We hear Candace, we think of it as a name. It's actually a title, kind of like Caesar or Pharaoh. So there was this queen in Ethiopia, and this guy worked in her court. And not only that, she was the queen of the Ethiopian, so he worked for the one in charge. So he's a well-to-do person. And then it goes on and says he was in charge of all her treasure. 
Show me the money, okay? This guy is in charge of all the finances for this very large place. Now, it shows another thing that he, it, it, uh, in verse, going on in verse 27, it says he, can, he had come to Jerusalem to worship. So we also see that this man, he's from a different country. He has heard about somewhere around, we don't know from who, but he had heard about the God of the Old Testament. He's really close to Egypt. Maybe you heard about the Exodus story, and he has believed in this God and trusted in this God of the Old Testament. And he went to Jerusalem to worship. This is about a 2,400-mile trek, which would have taken him about 100 days going 25 miles an hour. You know why they went 25 miles an hour? Because they didn't have cars, okay? Not 25 miles an hour, 25 miles a day. Sorry, that made <laughs> I was like, man, that guy's booking it. No, I'm sorry, I said the wrong thing. <laughs> Do you walk that fast? Speedwalker, no, sorry, I said the wrong thing. And as I was coming out, I was like, that's not right, so I'll correct it. 25 miles a day with this group. We're on fire this morning, all right? In verse 28, and returning, and he was returning from worshiping, okay, in verse 28, and he's seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. Now, here's a big thing. The guy has a chariot. Most people walked or rode a donkey. The fact that he was able to sit and to read, it's not like us when we're in a car or in a plane where we can sit and read. They're moving. The fact that he's in this chariot, and he's not, he's been able to read the prophet Isaiah, while he's moving, indicates that this man, yet again, is a person of great means, and he's traveling with a caravan of folks. So this is a very, now, this, it's important to understand all these details because the author here, on the inspiration of the Spirit, is building something for us to help us understand this issue of baptism. And we go on, verse 29, and the Spirit said to Philip, Remember, got the angel, then you got the Spirit of God. In verse 29, the Spirit said to Philip, go over and join his chariot. You see this group? Remember, he's, God said, go to the desert, and he did. And I imagine he could, was sitting there for quite some time waiting, and all of a sudden, this man, this Ethiopian comes around, he's reading the scriptures, and sure enough, the, 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 the chariot passed by, the Spirit says, go and join him. In verse 30, it says, so Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you are reading? Now, that seems weird, because most of the time, the only people that read out loud our children in our culture. However, in their culture, when with the they used to paper was at a premium because it doesn't like nowadays. When when back to school starts, I worked at a um, uh, Office Depot right before back to school one year when I was in seminary. It's a nightmare because they sell school supplies for like a nickel, and everybody comes and is like, I need all this paper, and they just. Like ransack the store, okay? But now you can get like 250 sheets of college rule for a nickel at back to school time. Paper then was a big undertaking to make. Not only that, that had to be copied by hand, and a lot of times they didn't even have spaces between the words. So one way that, that you were able to read it and understand it was to read it out loud. And so it was common practice this day for him to read it. Spirit said, Go. What happens? Philip goes, he, and he, he hears this man reading. And he says, do you understand what you're reading? And he says, how can I unless someone guides me? This is actually quite wise. How many times do we do this where we, we, we read something like, oh, yeah, I understand that, and we don't? 
And then we, he needed someone to guide him in the scriptures. This is common, and we see in Luke's gospel, and we see here that somebody who knows, who has been, that God's been revealed to them through Christ, they explain it to someone else, and that is really the heart of evangelism and spreading Christ, is just to explain what God has done in the scriptures. And so what does he do? How can, how can I understand unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come on up. Come on up in my chariot and sit with him. In verse 32, now the passage of Scripture that he was reading was this. This is no coincidence, right? God timed. And we get Isaiah. He's reading the, the translation of the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament, in Greek, which is called the Septuagint. We know that because of the different wording. He's reading Isaiah 53, 7 and 8, and here's what it says. Like a sheep, he was led to slaughter. And like a lamb before its shearers is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe this generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. In verse 34, the eunuch said to Philip, um, About who, I ask you, does the prophet say this about himself? Or someone else? There's a great question here. And honestly, if we ask that question, what, when we read something, my wife's an elementary school teacher, you ask, she, she teaches kids to ask questions when they're reading for reading comprehension. Who, what, where, when, why? How? What's this sentence about? What's this paragraph about? And he says, hey, what, what is, who is, who's talking here? It could be the prophet, because Isaiah was sown in two for prophesying the word of the Lord. Like, like not magician sawed into, where you come back together, like literally sawed into for proclaiming the word. So that could actually apply to Isaiah. Some people thought this passage of scripture in Isaiah applied to Israel because they were constantly being persecuted. A lot of the persecution arose because of disobedience, but they didn't want to talk about that. But we understand this, and, and what Philip's about to do is verse 35 is explain that this passage he was reading from Isaiah 53 relates and talks about the sacrifice of Christ on the cross, who was, while he was being condemned and while he was being murdered, did not revile anyone, did not, did not say anything ill, but what? Was silent and hung there and suffered in silence, showing his innocence. In verse 35, here's what he would say. Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with the scriptures, he told him the good news about Jesus. Then we go to the next verse. And as they were going along the road, remember, they're reading, they're talking, they're riding in this chariot, the whole, the whole procession is moving through this desert place. And lo and behold, they came and saw some water. This would be a huge premium because they're in a what? A desert. Deserts are not known for flowing streams and big ponds, right? So this is all in the, in the sovereignty of God. They come to this water. And the eunuch said, see, here's water. Then he asked this question. What's, what prevents me from being baptized? What prevents me from being baptized? What, what a question. Usually, sometimes you, 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 you see pastors begging people to be baptized, and this guy's asking, like, what's, what's stopping me from being baptized? Do you know what's stopping him? Some, some misunderstandings, and he is ceremonially unclean. 
Now, I want to read you a verse of Scripture, and yes, it's in the Bible, okay? And we'll this Deuteronomy 23, 1. No one, and this is a translation, don't get mad at me, this is, this, this, this is what the Bible says, okay? No one whose testicles are crushed or whose male organ is cut off shall enter into the assembly of the Lord. Did you know that was in there? I didn't either, and I had a lot of Bible school. And I read that, and I was like, say what? You can take that down now, Robert, because we don't need that up there for a minute. I just thought they, nobody's going to listen to a word I say while that's up there. But I want you to know something. Remember, where, where was he coming from, the, the eunuch? From Jerusalem. What was he doing in Jerusalem? Worshiping. Where would he have worshipped? In the temple. Here's what happens. Even though he had heard about the God of the Old Testament, the one true God, he couldn't worship Inside the temple, he could probably go into the court of the Gentiles, which is a place for all those who were non-ethnically Jewish to go, but he could never actually be a part of the covenant community. You know why? Because Deuteronomy 23.1 says, anyone who has had mutilated genitals cannot enter into the presence and the people of God. That's tough, right? Now, Isaiah 53. Remember, he was reading in Isaiah chapter 56, but let's back up. To get to Isaiah chapter 56, what do you need to read first? Verses that precede it. So Isaiah 53, this same passage, the same set of scriptures, in Isaiah chapter 53, I want you to read what, I want you to read what it says. I got it on the screen. There's a promise. Isaiah 53 says this, Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, The Lord will surely separate me from his people. And let not the eunuch say, Behold, I'm a dry tree. So he's talking Isaiah 53 about a eunuch. Verse 4, it says this, For thus says the Lord, To the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose the things that please me, and hold my fast and my covenants. I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than the sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that will not be cut off. So here's what happens. He's saying, you eunuchs that because of this verse of scripture, Deuteronomy 23, who have, who have defiled bodies, those who are eunuchs and those who are far away, there's a day coming where I'm going to give you my name and I'm going to bring you in and there's going to be nothing that separates you again. And then he goes on and say in verse 6, and the foreigners, those who are far away, those who are not ethnically Jews, and the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord to minister to him, those who love the Lord, love the name of the Lord, to be his servants, everyone who keeps the Sabbath and does not profane it and holds fast my covenant, these, listen to this, this is the promise for the eunuch and the foreigner, those who could not come close to the presence of God in Jerusalem in the temple. Verse 7 says this, these I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted at my altar. For my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. Maybe you've heard that verse before. Usually it's murdered out of context. And verse 8 says, The Lord God who gathers the outcasts of Israel, he gathers the outcasts of Israel. 
those are put off, far off, declares, I will gather yet others to him besides those who are already gathered. You hear this? Deuteronomy 23, 1 shows this man is unclean and he can never enter into the presence of God because of Deuteronomy 23, 1. But there's good news in Isaiah that says when the Messiah comes, the foreigners and those who have been defiled and those who are outcasts, I will bring them in. This is Isaiah 53. Isaiah 56 is what Philip explains to this man, right? And he talks about this, this one who was silent before his shearer. And it's talking about the Lord Jesus, who was God in the flesh, the perfect Holy One of God, who was ceremonially clean in all ways because he obeyed God in every respect, in every manner. And then he became unclean by dying a death on the cross, being hung on a tree, which is defilement, on the behalf of all the defiled so that all of our sin and uncleanliness can be put on him and that those who believe in him and his death, burial, and resurrection might have life and all of our uncleanliness be gone and those of us who are outsiders and outcasts can come in. The church of Jesus is a beautiful, jacked-up mess. It is. It is the people who are the farthest out that he brings in. You know why? We're people who realize we're the farthest out because we've seen the holiness of God and we realize we don't measure up. And we come by grace knowing that the sacrifice of Christ on, on our behalf is enough to make us clean and right with God. And this guy... That's why he asked that question, what's preventing me to be baptized? Because there was a lot of things preventing him from worshiping God in Jerusalem. But now, because of Jesus, you know what's preventing him to being part of the covenant people? You know what's, what's preventing him from expressing faith? Nothing anymore. So I want you to hear about this. Baptism. Baptism. So I asked that question in the beginning. Who should be baptized? This helps us understand something. Who should be baptized? The question answers this way. One who has heard and believed the gospel. This man has heard the gospel. He's believed the gospel. All the obstacles of his uncleanliness and sin have been removed. And you know what? What prevents me from being baptized? The next verses show nothing. You know why? They dunk him. Get this. Baptism, being dunked, is an is a outward sign of an inward reality that you've been born again. Baptism is only for believers. Look throughout the scriptures. There's nobody that does not have expressed faith that's baptized. That, that is, there's no one who does not express their faith that's been baptized in the scriptures. That means infant baptism doesn't mean anything. It doesn't mean anything at all. Baptism in the scriptures clearly is of someone who believes and the baptism itself does not cleanse. It's a symbol. So it's for believers. It's not to make a believer. It's not to hope you will be a believer and baptize them so you get some grace. No, 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 no. That's silly. Dangerous even. And I want you to hear me loud and clear. 
this wacky dunking of people that we're going to do is actually a beautiful picture of someone who has believed in Christ. So who should be baptized? One who has heard the gospel. The gospel is just the good news about Christ becoming our uncleanliness so that we could become clean. He made him who knew no sin to be sin so that in him we might be the righteousness of God in Christ. Come on now. That is what this means. It's not just we got wet at church and it was odd. It is, a, it is for baptized persons. Who's the second person? What's the second thing? Who should be baptized? It's one who's heard and believed the gospel. The second thing about baptism is one who understands the symbolism and the proclamation of baptism. Now, I'm not saying this guy understood all of that, but I do want you to understand something. They baptize him in the proper mode, which is to go underwater and come back up. That's what the word baptize, baptize means. But I want you to look down in verse 36, and we'll move on from there again. So the guy asked the question in verse 36. He says, see here, hey, there's some water. What prevents me from being baptized? Well, he's heard the gospel. Obviously, he's believed the gospel. He wouldn't have been asked about baptism. Part of the gospel presentation was obviously what? Baptism. Do you realize that a lot of times, and this is for those, those Christians out there, a lot of times we talk about praying to receive Christ, but we never talk about baptism. Obviously, it was included in this man's gospel presentation. They're stinking, like, we're part of a denomination that has Baptist in the word, and we don't even talk about it that much. What are you guys about? Well, we dunk people, okay? It's in our name, okay? Because, I mean, could you imagine if we actually changed that to, like, dunk? That would be awesome. <laughs> First dunking church of Hartsville, you know? I mean, that would be awesome. The journey dunking church, okay? I mean, that would, that could get weird. But we get to this point where we see in verse 38, and he commanded the chariots to stop. The question's asked, we don't ever get an answer. What's preventing me to be baptized? Hold the phone, stop the chariot. And verse 38 says, to stop. And they both went down into the water, and Philip and the eunuch, both of them, and he baptized them, which means what? Dunked him. Second thing we see is this, and they came up out of the water. Obviously again, they came up out of the water, which means that they went down into the water. Now, why am I hammering this? Is this because we don't believe in sprinkling and I want you not to believe in sprinkling? No, that would be dumb. It's important because baptism is a symbol and it is a proclamation of what Jesus has done. It is a picture sermon because you think about it. In a few minutes... This is what this is going to represent is a person is dead in their sins. They died with Christ because Christ was crucified, right? He was buried in a tomb. Then what happened? He was raised. So this is a picture of a person who's dead in their sin, being lured into death, into Christ's death on your behalf, and to being raised into newness of life. If that is not there, the symbol is lost. The picture is gone. And the sermon, the picture sermon is not preached. Like, you think this is the sermon? This is part of it, but that's the sermon too. And they're preaching. I believe that Christ's death and burial and resurrection, I believe that's my only hope, and that's what I'm in. And I'm going to show this to you. So I told, I told them, I told Amy and Ryan, I said, y'all are going to preach this Sunday. And they probably were like, mm, 
you talking about? Okay. <laughs> I don't think that's going to happen, man. No, you are. Because this is so one who understands the symbolism. It doesn't save you, but it's a picture of what the one who saved you did. And it's a proclamation to everyone. This is what has happened. And this is what I trust. And this is what I believe. And this is what I'm in. Thirdly, who should be baptized? One who's heard and believed the gospel. That's obvious. One who understands the symbolism and the proclamation of baptism. The third thing is this. It's this. Who should be baptized? One who understands the commitment of baptism. Commitment of baptism. Yesterday, we got a bride and groom. Yesterday, I stepped on the word supper cups. That wasn't good. We got a bride and groom over here that got married right here on this stage. Yeah, Autumn and Vincent. So they came up and they exchanged vows. Obviously, it's before God and before these witnesses. This this ceremony is not the declaration that Vincent is out to date other women. Autumn would kill him. But no, what was the ceremony indicating? I am devoted solely to you. And it would be completely strange for at the end of the ser- sermon or the service of the end of the what excuse me, the end of the wedding, if we popped up Vincent's phone number, email address and said, ladies, you looking for a date? Come see Vincent. That would be odd, right? Am I right? That wouldn't be what the commitment ceremony was about, right? That is why baptism is a commitment. It is a a proclamation that you are in Christ, and it is showing that I follow him and have allegiance to him only in a similar fashion to a wedding. Does that make sense? It's seen also as the entrance into the body. Remember that when people were saved at Pentecost, what happened? The Lord added their number. They were baptized, and the Lord added to the number of the church. So we see this, that baptism is it's, it's, it enters into the body of Christ. It's a commitment. It's saying, I am following Jesus. And uh, throughout the world, we lose it here. We've lost so much about what baptism means in, this, in, this, in our Western culture. But in other cultures, when you're baptized, you can profess Christ with your mouth all you want to, and people will still not they, they might persecute you, but usually in instances in, in Hindu countries or in Muslim countries and where the culture is, if you leave that faith, you are shunned and put out. And even sometimes they have funerals for you because you have gone out of the fellowship of the Muslim or the Hindu or the whatever culture you're in. They, put, they, they, they think of you as dead. What happens? It's not when you profess Christ. Usually it's when the person's baptized that, that commitment is solidified, and it shows that someone has trusted Christ. We have downgraded baptism to a place where it doesn't mean what it means, and it is such a beautiful, godly, biblical thing, and it is the way to profess faith. It is the entrance into the body. So who can be, ba- who can be baptized? One who's heard and believed the gospel. Who can be baptized? One who understands its symbolism and its proclamation. Who can be baptized? One who understands the commitment that baptism is. It's saying, I will follow Jesus. There is no other way. I commit fully to him being the way, the truth, and life. His death, burial, and resurrection is the only thing, the only thing I can trust for salvation. And following Matthew chapter 28, the Great Commission, now you're a disciple, a follower, been baptized and learning all of his ways. He is is the boss. 
It is a huge, huge commitment. So I'm going to ask you the same question that this man asked. What would prevent you from being baptized? If you've heard and believed the gospel, there's a few things that would hinder you. Improper understanding, which I'm hoping we kind of worked through that today, and now you get what it's about. Another thing that, would, that prevents us from being baptized, and this is by no means exhaustive, this is just the list. Fear. I don't know how many times I've, I've heard, I don't want to get up in front of people. I, listen, the number one and two fears in the world are public speaking, number one, death, number two. Jerry Seinfeld talks about that in a great comedy sketch. It's awesome. <laughs> Some people would rather be in the casket than given the eulogy, which is hilarious. So it's, it's I'm not taking down the frightening aspect of coming and being before that, but Jesus is very clear. If you deny me before men, I will deny you before my Father in heaven. Christianity is not a closet thing. Christianity is explosively public. It has to be. It's a proclamation faith. And so fear of people is legitimate, but who would you fear more, God or man? Not only that, it's a fear of commitment. I don't know if I'm, I'm uh, this is a big thing because I'm, I'm, I'm saying I've followed Jesus for the rest of my life. Yeah, it's all or nothing with him. It's all or nothing. I mean, he says it. If any man, it, it, if any man would follow me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, his instrument of death, and follow me. No one who puts his hand to the plow and turns back is worthy to come after me. Leave your father and your mother. Leave. Leave the dead to bury their dead. Come follow me. Jesus would say it all the time. It's hard, but it's true. What's preventing you? Those things are reasons, but they're not strong enough to keep you from expressing this faith and showing the grace of God in your life. Also, here's another thing that just prevents us. I just want to be clear about this. You are not too far for the grace of God to come get you. I just want you to hear that loud and clear. We were talking about here, do you realize this genital mutilation that's mentioned in Deuteronomy chapter 23 is now becoming prevalent in our country? And sometimes we think those who have mutilated their gender or mutilated their genitals because they're confused about their gender, we think there's no hope ever. There's obviously hope. This man with mutilated genitals can now be a part of, there's nothing keeping him away from being a part of the people of God. There's no sin too great. There's no person too far off. There's no person too hard. The grace of God is available for all, and all can come. No matter skin color, this man was from Ethiopia and had black skin color. No matter his economic status, he was rich, and a lot of poor people came to Jesus too. There is nothing that holds you back from the gospel. All the way has been cleared. Repent, believe, and be baptized. You do not have to walk in shame, but you can walk in life. Not because you are good. You are not good. But Jesus was on your behalf, and all your uncleanliness he bore. And through faith in him, you are righteous because of Jesus. There is nothing holding you back. 
Repent and believe. Finally, I want you to get to this. And this is a real finally, not a preacher finally, okay? Verse 39, And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more. Now that's weird. <laughs> Baptized. Okay, if that happens today, you know, come looking for me, all right? If I dunk somebody, where'd he go, okay? Send me a text, all right? Well, I'll find you, babe. All right. I was talking to my wife, by the way. I want to make it clear. I just said babe in the crowd, and she's right there. That preacher's odd. What happens? So the guy disappears. Never see. We don't have any idea that, he sees, that Philip sees the eunuch anymore. What happens? The eunuch went away rejoicing. Rejoicing. In a few months... By the grace of God, college football will reappear on our television screens. And enjoy. there's a reason why Mother's Day is in the spring. It's football-related, I'm sure. That's not true. I just made that up. <laughs> it's probably true. I don't know. That, when, some, when one, of those, one, of those, one of those 19-year-old kids catches a ball in an end zone... There will be an eruption in the stands that is hard to fathom. There will be remotes thrown in your household. There will be dances done, probably, that you won't even talk about. There may be a spike of a football cushion or something in your house. There will be great rejoicing and a first down. But I want you to get this. Why would we not rejoice when somebody proclaims their faith in Christ and they have passed from death to life? It's a chance to really see joy. And today, we have two that they would start making their way down. We are going to baptize two today as the end of our service. We have them, so they're going to make their way down here. We have Amy and Ryan. I'm going to get you guys right here. You may want to, you want to slip off your shoes, buddy. We've um, start with Amy first because you, you beat me. to you, you, you got right in front of Ryan to talk to me about this last Sunday. Okay, don't get in just yet because it's cold, okay? I got to talk to Amy about her testimony. She was saved as a little girl because someone invited her to come to church. She heard the gospel. She believed. I'm saying this right. If I'm saying something wrong, you let me know. Okay, this is what I remember. So she, she had professed faith, but there had been several instances where she wanted to be baptized and it just never worked out. We offered the invitation for a baptismal service, and we didn't think we were going to have anybody, but last Sunday she came up, followed by, followed by Ryan, and um, she said, it is time. She said, I think this is what the Lord has worked out here as, as a way to profess faith in front of all these folks, including her kids and her family. And so it is with great honor that we get to baptize Amy today for her professed faith. A long time, walking in it for a while, but now following in obedience. Now it's cold. We're going to get you in and out quick, okay? Yeah, uh, yeah I know. And grab that right there. <laughs> 
if actually if you sit right there, face that way. I'm gonna do it real quick. There you go. You get that. <laughs> this is my honor to baptize you, my sister, in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hand out. <laughs> All right, my man Ryan, come on. Well, wait, let's wait till you get in there. My hands are wet, too. This is Ryan. He came right after. Um, recently, Ryan has a baby on the way, and the things of God became very evident when that became a reality. And through the ministry of Amy and, her, and Courtney and her whole family, he's heard the gospel several times from them, and has been, they've talked to him and poured into his life. And after we talked at, at McDonald's, it became very evident that God has done a work of grace, and this is the first step of him following in obedience. And so we are honored. So is it your confession that you have trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior? Yes. All right, well, I'm going to baptize you. Come on in. That's yeah, cold, bro. It's my honor, Ryan, to baptize you <laughs> in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, as they get dried up, I got two announcements to make. First off, we got the mix this Wednesday night for all of our, uh, our teenagers. If you are going to camp, it's very important you show up for this at 745 Parents because we need to uh, go ahead and get... Um, uh, some forms filled out for that. So that's this Wednesday at 6.30. Also, we have Church in the Park June 5th. You know what? I feel like we just need to, one more time, give the Lord a shout of praise for what he's done. Amen. Go home, love your mama, and just go in the grace of Jesus. Let me pray and we'll be dismissed. God, you are so good to us. You are so good. We thank you for what you've done, and we pray that you continue to work in our midst and see people come to a saving knowledge of Christ and express that through baptism. God, help the, the dark, murky areas become clear in our understandings and our lives and help your light shine through and truth shine through. Bring understanding and new life, we pray. Thank you for our moms. Thank you for this great day, which is just your grace upon grace to us. And we pray that we would honor you in everything we do say. And we love you, God. And we live for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.